Freedom doesn't need more cheerleaders shouting partisan slogans. It needs thoughtful, principled disciples of liberty. Deep down, we all know that freedom and liberty matter. This is where we discuss why they matter. It's time to elevate the discussion. Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to the Loving Liberty program. So glad you could join me as we uh, get ready to celebrate Independence Day. Uh, I got freedom on my mind. Probably not the only person feeling that way, but uh, wait till you hear what my guest has to say. I have Anthony DeMauro on the line with me, and Anthony is a freelance writer based in New York City and alumni of the National Journalism Center and a student at New York University, also a contributor to Young Voices. Anthony, welcome to Loving Liberty. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to, to get to pick your brain for the next couple of segments here, but I'm also glad that, that I get to pick your brain on a topic that is in some ways kind of fraught with danger, because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about drug research, and, and I'm going to even add an element to the danger, something that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had suggested uh, just a short time ago, uh, a bill or an amendment that she had opposed, uh, had proposed, rather, that would have repealed barriers preventing medical research on certain drugs and uh, before we before we jump into this um aoc as she is known elicits a lot of reactions in people and a lot of people slam their minds shut just on hearing her name tell me about uh, is this one of those occasions where she is getting something right in proposing this amendment you're absolutely right, Brian. She, uh, AOC, the name, definitely promotes a lot of knee-jerk reaction that unfortunately leads to uh, dismissal of all of her ideas, right? Um, this is definitely an occasion where she gets something absolutely right. And uh, despite how you feel about any other one of her uh, policy proposals, uh, you have to give credit where credit's due. And I believe here's a situation where uh, AOC gets it exactly right. Okay, so this is one of the times where I guess we're going to test people's ability to be objective long enough to to look at the bigger picture. And, uh, Anthony, I'm going to ask you, kind of uh, fill in this bigger picture for us. The amendment that she proposed would repeal certain barriers preventing medical research on certain kinds of controlled substances. What's the the gist of of rolling back this government control? Sure. Um, So I guess it begins with um, the Controlled Substances Act. Um, and this act has within it a provision that limits um, drug research by way of uh, disallowing any actions that are seen as promoting legalization of Schedule One drugs. Um, now, the scheduling of drugs, uh, according to the DEA, requires them to be uh, medically useless and have a high potential for abuse. Um, so what this amendment did was uh, attempt to delete this provision and add it to the appropriations bill that was going to be funding part of the government's fiscal year 2020, um, essentially taking some of the funding from the DEA and placing it into uh, the hands of uh, research opportunities. But the most important aspect here is that it would get rid of that catch-22 that we see um, through this this, uh, Controlled Substances Act provision. Because on the one hand, it's telling us that uh, we cannot research anything that is... um, medically useless. But on the other, there is a second provision within that same act that allows for uh, research to be done on things, including Schedule One drugs, that seem to have medical potential. But of course, we cannot see that potential without the research in the first place. So this amendment would do away with all that and really open up um, a lot of areas for research that could help a lot of people. Okay, now I'm reading between the lines, and you correct me if, if I'm off in my interpretation here, but what you're saying here is, look, AOC is not saying, hey, everybody, let's all get high so much as she is actually proposing, let's take down this barrier that would actually allow medical science to research these these drugs that are currently schedule one drugs and see if there's a way to, to use them. And I think you give some really solid examples of places where they've shown some some promising, helpful use. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Um, This amendment has nothing to do with the legalization of these drugs for recreational use um, of any kind. This amendment was solely for uh, 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 therapeutic use. That is, um, if you look through a lot of the recent studies put out by um, the APA, Nature, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, um, all of these uh, privately researched studies and with volunteer subjects show great promise. 
And all AOC's amendment was proposing was to say, well, perhaps we should allow um, some federal funding for things like this so that universities um, or, or other individual uh, companies and whatnot could uh, pursue research. And, and, and depending on what the research says, um, perhaps implant medical treatment. It's not even uh, sort of calling for the implementation of, of these drugs in widespread therapeutic use. It's merely saying, look, there's promise. Why don't we pursue it? Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the part of the skeptic here because I know that there are people within the sound of our voices who are going, all right, just a minute here. Are you telling me that, uh, for instance, drugs like LSD or MDMA or uh, psilocybin mushrooms or even marijuana, for that matter, could actually have some kind of beneficial effect other than whatever the, the psychedelic effect may be? That's absolutely correct. It seems, based on at least the, the limited research we do have, that um, the medical promise is, is frankly obvious. Um, if you take a look, like I, I mentioned, the Multidisciplinary Association uh, for Psychedelic Studies, they put out a study in which they had subjects um, use MDMA, um, a lot, and these subjects had treatment-resistant PTSD. Uh, this is slightly different from PTSD in that uh, the treatment-resistant PTSD actually disallows from a lot of the common therapeutic uh, treatment because a lot of common therapeutic treatment requires you to engage in uh, the traumatic memories. But this treatment-resistant PTSD disallows for that, generally speaking. And uh, the use of MDMA in this study, getting back to that, um, it showed that there was a, a greater than 30% reduction in CAP scores after therapeutic use of MDMA. Um, and in fact, many after just two months' time, did not even fit the clinical criteria for PTSD. So that's just one example of, of uh, legitimate medical promise uh, through a, a drug such as MDMA that people might have a great prejudice and stigma towards, um, but nonetheless will uh, potentially seriously help individuals, specifically veterans um, uh, of our country, that, that seriously could use effective treatment. Well, on this, I, I'm glad you brought up the veterans because I know for even for the really law and order type people who think all drugs are bad unless a doctor signed a script saying you're going to have this. Um, when it comes to, to veterans and PTSD, there's no denying there are a lot of veterans that are dealing with some very, very difficult issues. Um, I mean, I think you mentioned the, the suicide rate is upwards of, uh, what, 20 veterans a day committing suicide? That's correct. Yeah, according to... Uh... Uh, the VA, uh, about 20 veterans, it's estimated that 20 veterans die by suicide each day. And, of course, that is uh, unquestionably related to uh, chronic mental illness, including PTSD, of which between 11 uh, and 20 percent of, uh, of any given year, um, Iraq veterans, 11 to 20 percent of Iraq veterans suffer from this condition. Um, and you can see all these statistics right on the Department of, of Veterans Affairs. And it, it seems that given this... Um, a serious plight um, of a group of individuals that have, have done quite a bit um, for our country, to say the least, uh, you would think that many could put the stigma of, of, of drug usage aside and say, well, if there's potential to help individuals for medicinal purposes and therapeutic purposes, maybe um, some funding towards this, towards this promise uh, is worthwhile. And, and I certainly think it does. And um, unfortunately, uh, it, the amendment, uh, as, I, as I go on to say, did not pass, um, but there was a great moment, and you can actually see the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, summary of, of her amendment on C-SPAN. She, she's discussing the, the necessity for this amendment, and um, I believe it's Rick Perry, uh, her GOP colleague, across, excuse me, Scott Perry, um, who comes across and says, well, actually, I, I disagree with this. I think we need more research on drugs, and that sort of, <laughs> in my opinion, conceded the necessity for this very amendment. So, like you said earlier, it's great uh, if you have a, a stance that is generally anti-drug, but certainly this is not promoting any uh, flagrant or recreational use, merely research-oriented. Yeah, it's, it's not the rave promoters <laughs> that are that are trying to move uh, efforts like this forward. I, I love that this, to me, this illustrates something that I, I fear is lost on a lot of people in the current political atmosphere, and that is when an issue becomes politicized, such as drug policy— it turns into a giant power struggle and a big tug of war. And so this is why it's I, I think it's actually a good thing that AOC was one of the people who was was bringing this up, even though some people, you know, slam their mind shut at the mention of her name. 
this is an idea that's that's likely worth considering strictly from the standpoint that uh, there's research that shows some promise more research would be very beneficial exactly yeah uh, to politicize things like mental health uh, obviously is very damaging um, to to anyone who is suffering with those uh, conditions and uh, when it comes to to drugs like you said it's a very hotly debated topic and um, you know, with recent legalization efforts through marijuana, um, and, and I believe even mushrooms in Denver, um, this can be um, seen as sort of a gateway policy that would lead to eventual legalization. Um, I would say that that's important to address, but to those skeptics, I would simply question, is your disapproval of the drug worth sacrificing effective treatment? Um, I say no. Um and certainly I would, I would assume many others would agree. Um, but really, I think this is a part of a larger issue uh, in, in, in modern politics that is really representative of the, I don't like it, so I don't want anyone else to have access to it. I mean, I think you see this even through tobacco bans or, uh, excuse me, tobacco age increases and e-cigarette bans in, in San Francisco. This is this notion that because I don't approve of of a certain substance or practice or routine, I think it should be outlawed. And I don't think that that is any legitimate uh, cause to promote or disapprove of a policy. Okay, hold, hold that thought. Hold AOC. that thought. Anthony DeMauro is on the line with me. We are talking about uh, how uh, if you want to help veterans, listen to AOC on drug research. We'll be back right after these messages. America is built and based on liberties and freedoms. Liberty HealthShare brings that to healthcare. The liberty of choosing your own doctor. The liberty of choosing your own hospital. Liberty HealthShare makes healthcare affordable to millions of Americans. Ignite your liberty. Sharing plans starting at $199 for a single, $399 for a couple, and no matter how big the family, only $529. That's $529 for the entire family. To learn how you can save, go to lightyourliberty.com. That's light yourliberty.com Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Other law firms charge clients by the minute. Sometimes you're afraid to call your lawyer because you're worried about the cost. Not with Peace Legal. You have the option in most cases between hourly billing and flat fee billing. With flat fee billing, you know how much your case will cost up front. One flat fee, no hidden costs, and no charges to speak with your lawyer. We specialize in family law, adoptions, divorce, prenuptial agreements, and enforcement of custody and support orders. We also work with businesses and nonprofits, with planning, contracts, and employment issues. We also handle what we call life law matters. These are those cases that arise just by living life, buying a home, rental agreements, power of attorneys, and traffic and DUI matters. We have five offices in Orem, Ogden, Salt Lake City, Sandy, and Spanish Fork. Visit us at PeaceLegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Our consultations are free, and we will always work hard for you. Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. My name is Garrett Smith, and I'm an attorney with Peace Legal Law Firm. Divorce is a very difficult time for everyone involved. The emotional, mental, and financial pressure of divorce can be overwhelming. We understand that. That's why we've designed our firm to take away some of those pressures. We offer flat fee billing so you won't have to worry about writing a check each time you want to update your lawyer about your case. No hidden costs, one flat fee. We also understand that you'll have a lot of questions. We won't rush you or talk down to you. You deserve better. You can reach us at PeaceLegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. How many does it take to make a difference? When it comes to supporting freedom and liberty, the answer is 100 million. In fact, 100 million pocket constitutions. Freedom Factor is a nonprofit organization with a goal to distribute 100 million of these pocket constitutions. So far, they've distributed over 17 million. If you or your organization would like to be a part of this incredible effort, go to freedomfactor.org and learn how today. It makes a fantastic fundraiser activity. Go to freedomfactor.org and learn how. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. My guest is Anthony DeMauro, and he is a freelance writer, has an excellent, excellent article on freethepeople.org. The article is titled, Want to Help Veterans? Listen to AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, on Drug Research. And, uh, Anthony, I, I know that... Uh, you know, a lot of people have have some pretty strong barriers when it comes to now, if we're not talking about something that's been issued by a physician or, you know, uh, dispensed by a pharmacist, why it's it's for good reason that it's it's off limits. Um, maybe we could just touch on um, overuse of certain prescription drugs has proven to be kind of a problem in and of itself. Wouldn't wouldn't you say? Yeah, certainly there's an issue with um, the way uh, certain addictive drugs or potentially addictive drugs are um, prescribed, certainly in dosage and amount, and I'm sure that there are issues there. Uh, But what I'd say, just like uh, with regard to to the drugs discussed in the article, uh, it's finding that fine line between using um, the the ingredients effectively uh, in treatment and and not overusing it. So I'm not saying that this is uh, currently settled and there's a... uh, uh, a perfect solution uh, found already, but certainly um, I think that striving to find that fine line is good for everyone. And, and there's a part of me that wonders too, you know, if if some of the pushback that comes from exploring some of these naturally occurring substances uh, comes from I don't know pharmaceutical companies who can't patent them and therefore profit from them, and they you know they want to kind of limit to entry into the market on the part of other uh, potential drugs that, that could help, you know, treat some of the things that we've talked about. Yeah, and I, I believe some of that pushback, if it's if it's uh, profit motive, motivated, is that what you said? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So if, if, if some of the pushback is that individuals or companies are just attempting to make a profit off of it, um, I would say that, well, in most cases, effective medical treatment, uh, someone is making money off of this. I mean, that is the nature of living in a free market. But frankly, that is also uh, a facilitator of, of lower drug prices. Um, now, of course, nobody can make a profit off of any of these drugs um, until they're properly researched and approved. Um, and, and again, that's why I, when I wrote about this, was, was very supportive of, of the amendment proposed by AOC. Because, of course, um, if there is something made, made a profit off, off of, then the treatment must be effective. And if the treatment's effective, then that means somebody can benefit uh, from it. Uh, and namely veterans and those who, who suffer with chronic mental illness. And now, you had mentioned early on in, in our interview about, uh, uh, for instance, treatment-resistant PTSD, which makes it very difficult to, to treat the person with traditional therapy. Talk to me about, let's do some specifics here and talk about some of these drugs that are currently Schedule One drugs. They're not recognized to have any uh, legitimate medical treatment, but nonetheless have, have been slowly but surely being proven useful for a variety of of, of different uh, things. For instance, talk to me a little bit about, about uh, marijuana, LSD, ecstasy, or even psychedelic mushrooms and, and the various things that they are showing promise in treating. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, first thing, uh, with regard to marijuana, there's been a lot of um, research that shows that it helps with um, uh, opiate addiction, anxiety, of course, um, also, I believe that it, it has also been shown to uh, relieve uh, depression in, in a lot of instances. Um, when it comes to LSD and ecstasy, actually, uh, the large uh, medical problems that they show is with regard to PTSD and uh, also anxiety and chronic uh, end-of-life depression as well. So, uh, for example, in Nature, uh, you can read about a study in which MDMA relieves anxiety in autistic adults. Um, in uh, the uh, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, you can read about how MDMA has produced clinically and statistically significant improvements in PTSD system, symptoms, and even at, at times removed individuals outside of the realm of PTSD criteria. So really, um, I encourage everyone, especially those who are skeptical, to, to look at the research. Um, take a look at, at what you see. Um, sort of uh, don't go in with a prejudice. Uh, understand that, of course, uh, they might not be uh, best uh, at all times for recreational use, but consider them within the scope of, of therapeutic use. And um, and I think that they, a lot of people would be surprised at what they find. Well, and, and one of the things that I would love to get your thoughts on is the fact that it's not like since the beginning of time, 
these uh, these substances that are currently considered, you know, Schedule One drugs have always been classified so because mankind understood it was evil in and of your, even of itself to to utilize them. That's not the case. In fact, prior to 1914, any American could walk into a drugstore or pharmacy and over the counter without a prescription, they could get pharmaceutical grade cocaine. They could get laudanum, tincture of opium. They could get tincture of of cannabis. Um, but but since that time, we've had a lot more government control that has come in. And and just because it's the law now doesn't mean that uh, necessarily we've solved the problem. You know, by passing these laws, no one is abusing them anymore. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, for example, even in the 1940s, there was quite a bit of uh, research going on for LSD when it was first discovered. But of course, as soon as the 1960s hit, um, when all of these uh, now Schedule One drugs were, were uh, banned, um, the research really came to a stall. So I think, obviously, the scientific community in that sense really lost a lot of headway um, with regard to research on these things. And, of course, um, the moralizing of surrounding drugs, I think, is, is, is extremely problematic in the sense that uh, promoting policy on, 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 uh, on a sense of, uh, I don't know, dignity or... Puritanism is is often, I think, misguided when it comes to uh, the way that people approach these things, because, of course, there are situations in which these drugs are of no use and, in fact, possibly dangerous. But um, certainly they're not, I don't think, should be thrown out with the bathwater. And I think that's what's happening currently. Um, So... Obviously, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez ran into a brick wall as far as this particular amendment. Is there anyone else that you are aware of within Congress who is willing to step up on this issue, knowing that uh, there's there's a fair amount of stigma attached to it? Um, as far as actual amendments proposed, um, I cannot think of one within recent years. Um, I know that, for example, Rand Paul has, has come out pretty strongly um, against uh, war on drug policy. Um, I'm fairly certain Justin Amash has been uh, pretty lenient on uh, on wanting to hype up regulations surrounding drugs. Um, so you can find individuals within uh, Congress that are certainly uh, more uh, liberty-oriented liberty, liberty oriented when it comes to uh, wanting to provide freedoms for uh, therapeutic use regarding these drugs. Um, it's just a matter of actually finding support, uh, because clearly it doesn't seem like we have that currently. And so now it's a matter of, is it a waste of time or should it be uh, continually pursued? I I hope it's continually pursued. I think we have a a reason to be optimistic, but uh, frankly, I'm not sure if it will happen in the, the extremely near future. Well, speaking of optimistic, let me tell you why issues like this, even if it's something that that AOC is is promoting for the moment, um, this gives me a sense of optimism in the sense that I really like the idea of properly limited government. And and to some people that said, did he just say he's anti-government? No, I said, I like limited government acting within its proper role. And and this is one of those areas where I think uh, uh, it's possible to have too much of something. Too much government in this case, I think, has actually served to to punish and in some ways uh, to harm even those who would never use any of these substances just because of the way that the war on drugs is being prosecuted. Yeah, exactly. And and it's funny that you mentioned that I'm for limited government. Therefore, oh, my gosh, are you anti-government? That jump often is, is what um, a lot of times happens. Um, but I think it's exactly important for you be reminded of that, that there is a proper role for government, and, and over-regulation certainly can hurt uh, those who, who need assistance most. Um, and no matter, again, where you stand on recreational use of, 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 these, of these drugs, it's, um, we're talking about medical use, we're talking about research, at least opening research to use these drugs medically. Um, I think that this is definitely an area where the government has overstepped, because not only is it preventing um, use of the drugs recreationally, which you can have your stance on that, but it's preventing the research to discover potentially medically useful things. And uh, frankly, I think those who need the treatment uh, are, are should be disheartened by it. Okay. Uh, we got to stop there. Unfortunately, we're up against the clock. Anthony DeMauro has been my guest. Anthony, I look forward to uh, reading more of your work, and hopefully we can talk again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. 
Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Other law firms charge clients by the minute. Sometimes you're afraid to call your lawyer because you're worried about the cost. Not with Peace Legal. You have the option in most cases between hourly billing and flat fee billing. With flat fee billing, you know how much your case will cost up front. One flat fee, no hidden costs, and no charges to speak with your lawyer. We specialize in family law, adoptions, divorce, prenuptial agreements, and enforcement of custody and support orders. We also work with businesses and nonprofits, with planning, contracts, and employment issues. We also handle what we call life law matters. These are those cases that arise just by living life, buying a home, rental agreements, power of attorneys, and traffic and DUI matters. We have five offices in Orem, Ogden, Salt Lake City, Sandy, and Spanish Fork. Visit us at peacelegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Our consultations are free, and we will always work hard for you. Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to GEICO. I feel like I'm on top of the world. Disclaimer, you will not be transported to the top of the world. In the unlikely event you find yourself at the Arctic Circle, seek shelter from the elements immediately to avoid frostbite and or hypothermia. GEICO will not be responsible if you find yourself in a cave or crevasse with a lonely, abominable snowman, who in all likelihood will force you to play games including but not limited to Go Fish, Charades, Chinese Checkers, or his personal favorite, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Yeti on over. GEICO is not liable for any damages, either physical or emotional. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Project Rushmore. In the lore of Harley-Davidson, it's a tribute to the power of four young men who built this company. Proof that 112 years of innovation breeds a soul that roars. Because the Harley-Davidson Project Rushmore motorcycles are monumental power. With high-output twin-cam 103 engines and touchscreen infotainment for navigation and communication, power is everywhere you look, hear, and feel. Take a Road Glide special on a power trip at your Harley-Davidson dealer. America is built and based on liberties and freedoms. Liberty HealthShare brings that to healthcare. The liberty of choosing your own doctor. The liberty of choosing your own hospital. Liberty HealthShare makes healthcare affordable to millions of Americans. Ignite your liberty. Sharing plans starting at $199 for a single, $399 for a couple, and no matter how big the family, only $529. That's $529 for the entire family. To learn how you can save, go to lightyourliberty.com. That's lightyourliberty.com. YourLiberty.com. Hey, once again, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. As uh, we are coming up on Independence Day, by the way, I've met a lot of people this year who are making a very clear distinction between Independence Day and the 4th of July. I guess this this is kind of falling into the, uh, you know, happy holidays versus Merry Christmas uh, sort of thing. But uh, we're celebrating independence. We're not celebrating just the day. We don't celebrate the 1st of January or the 25th of December. There's a specific holiday. And so I love any material that can help bring greater focus and, and maybe even greater depth to our understanding of what exactly we are celebrating. Well, this is where my friend Dr. Richard Ebling, writing for the American Institute for Economic Research, knocks it out of the ballpark. The real spirit of the Declaration of Independence. Now, look, I don't know if you're going to have time to sit down and actually read the Declaration. It's an activity I do recommend people do at least once a year. And you know what? Independence Day is probably the best day to do it, since ostensibly that's what we're supposed to be celebrating. The best effect is when you read it aloud. And this is something you could sit down with your kids and you can read it. There's, there are going to be words or there may be phrases that you may go, I'm not sure exactly what that means. But hey, there's this thing recently invented. It's called a dictionary. In fact, you can even look one up you know, online if you need to. It's right there on your phone, most likely. Look up the words you don't understand and then you know, proceed forward with better and deeper understanding. But to hear these words spoken aloud gives a sense of the urgency and the intensity and the passion that those who signed that declaration were feeling. It also gives you a sense of there was, it wasn't just, you know, here's a political document of why we're going to be free, dang it, and don't you tell us no. They lay out a moral case. Yeah, I use the word moral. There were moral truths that were underpinning their effort to separate Okay, I'll say it, to secede from Great Britain. 
I've actually kind of taken the last day or two to telling people, hey, have a happy treason day, because what they were doing was treasonous. But the fact that they were doing it for a higher moral truth to me outweighs the fact that, yeah, the British crown totally thought what they were doing was treasonous and it would have executed all of them had it been able to get their hands on all of them. By the way, there were many who did pay with their lives. But let's talk for a moment about uh, Richard Ebling's article, The Real Spirit of the Declaration of Independence. I'm just going to hit some high points here. But he starts with a question that I hope will be on everybody's minds over the next couple of days as we celebrate this holiday. He asks, what is America and what does it represent? Now, these seem to be relevant questions at a time of political discord and disagreement that appears to make peaceful and polite discussion almost impossible. But as he points out, certainly asking such questions is appropriate at that time of year when we celebrate the Declaration of Independence on July 4th. Everyone in the political arena assures us they represent and they wish to preserve or purify American values and the American way of life. President Trump insists that he speaks for American values and wanting to make America great again. Or now at the start of his re-election campaign, his desire for a chance to keep America great. Under the presumption that his first years in the White House have successfully restored all that had been lost. That's what tariff walls and real walls along the border are all about. Or so insists Donald Trump. After the first round of two nights of the Democratic Party wannabes trying to prove why they should be their party's standard bearer in the 2020 presidential election, it's clear that all of them also want to maintain or refine American values for, as they see it, a more socially just society. Each one made it unequivocally clear that they consider freedom essential to the American way of life. I mean, how else can you interpret their respective promises to make so many welfare and redistributive programs totally free for the unlimited taking by all who want something at someone else's expense, of course? Freedom for them means something for nothing for the many. By the way, just a quick aside here. If you want to read something really thought-provoking, Jacob Hornberger from the Future of Freedom Foundation, FFF.org, has a brilliant essay comparing what Americans celebrated on Independence Day and the kind of freedom that they celebrated in 1880 versus the kind of freedom that we are celebrating 140 years later. It's fascinating, and it's a little bit discouraging. But let's get back to the—here's the positive part. Let's talk about what exactly was accomplished by the Declaration of Independence. What was the spirit in which that declaration was issued? Richard Ebling talks about the self-evident individual rights of everyone. And regarding how politicians, again, on both sides of the aisle, talk about freedom and American values, he says, has this anything to do with the values and way of life captured in the ideas and ideals of that Declaration of Independence of 1776 that set America on its course over the next nearly 250 years? Well, he says, let's turn to the document itself and to that first portion that most students in school have heard or at least used to hear, repeated over and over again in history and civics classes from one end of the United States to the others. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That when any that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now listen to what he points out here. He says, notice that the rights spoken of are declared to be prior to and independent of governments. It is said that these individual rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness arise from a higher authority than kings, princes, or even democratically elected officials. But it might be said in response that not all people in America today believe in or accept the existence of a power of such a supernatural authority. So that argument, it might be claimed, falls to the ground. Yet if one looks behind the Declaration of Independence to the intellectual sources from which these principles arose, 
it can be shown that reason was considered as much of a demonstrable basis of these rights as any belief in God. Next, he talks about right reasoning and the rights of man. The ancient Romans developed their idea of universal law transcending the customs and traditions of any one group residing within the confines of their empire by asking, what could dispassionate men of goodwill, regardless of their particular societal backgrounds, agree to as just and right among them, given the nature of man? When John Locke articulated his expression, or his explanation rather, and rationale for natural rights in his second treatise on government in 1689, he asked us not to simply take his defense of individual rights purely on faith. He called for us to reason with him. Does not every one of us wish to preserve and better our own lives? Do we not all wish to be safe and secure from the violence and predation of our federal, our feral, <laughs> feral, fellow human beings? Do we not all consider it just if someone has taken from the previously unowned and unused resources found in nature and molded them into some other useful and usable form through their mental and physical labors, that it should be considered rightly and justly the property of that person whose hands has made this transformation? Would not each and every one of us consider it unjust if another were to forcibly or fraudulently take that which someone had peacefully and honestly made, and therefore without their agreed-upon and voluntary consent? Is it not equally reasonable for people to form a common system of protection and enforcement of an unbiased and impartial rule of law, which is known as government? Now we, can, we can find the same call to introspective reflection and mutual reasoning in the words of Scottish philosopher Francis Hutchinson, who taught at the University of Glasgow and was one of Adam Smith's influential professors. From Hutchinson's system of moral philosophy, quote, the following natural rights of each individual seem of the perfect sort a right to life and to that perfection of the body which nature has given belongs to every man. This right is violated by unjust assaults, maiming, and murder. As nature has implanted in each man a desire of his own happiness, tis plain that each one has a natural right to exert his powers according to his own judgment and inclination. For these purposes, in all such industry, labor, or amusements, as are not hurtful to others in their persons or good, or goods. And he says, this we call, we rightly call, or let's try that again. This right we call natural liberty. Every man has a sense of this right and a sense of the evil or cruelty in interrupting this joyful liberty of others. Each one has a natural right to the use of such things as are in their nature fitted for the common use of all and has a right by any innocent means to acquire property in such goods as are fit for occupation and property and have not been occupied by others. I'm going to come back to this in a few moments, but are you starting to catch a little bit of a glimpse of the spirit of the Declaration of Independence? It was about more than just barbecue. Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Other law firms charge clients by the minute. Sometimes you're afraid to call your lawyer because you're worried about the cost. Not with Peace Legal. You have the option in most cases between hourly billing and flat fee billing. With flat fee billing, you know how much your case will cost up front. One flat fee, no hidden costs, and no charges to speak with your lawyer. We specialize in family law, adoptions, divorce, prenuptial agreements, and enforcement of custody and support orders. We also work with businesses and nonprofits, with planning, contracts, and employment issues. We also handle what we call life law matters. These are those cases that arise just by living life, buying a home, rental agreements, power of attorneys, and traffic and DUI matters. We have five offices in Orem, Ogden, Salt Lake City, Sandy, and Spanish Fork. Visit us at PeaceLegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Our consultations are free, and we will always work hard for you. Peace Legal. We're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Immigration issues are all over the news. There are rapid changes happening in the law. My name is Allison Johnson, and I'm an attorney with Peace Legal Law Firm. I work with individuals and families in handling their immigration issues. You have certain rights and protections under the law, and I believe you shouldn't be afraid or timid to exercise those rights. 
They are in place to help and protect you. Our website is www.peacelegal.net, and we have five offices here in Utah, Ogden, Salt Lake City, Sandy, Orem, and Spanish Fork, to make it convenient for you to meet. If you would like to speak with an immigration attorney, please call me at 801-876-5297. My name is Allison Johnson, and the phone number is 801-876-5297. Call me for a free consultation. Llámame. Se habla español. My name is Garrett Smith, and I'm a lawyer with Peace Legal. Are you starting a new business or launching a nonprofit? You'll want to have the right foundation. You'll want the peace of mind in knowing that the advice you're getting is rock solid. At Peace Legal, we work with business owners, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits. We help plan and review your business model, draft the necessary paperwork, and work with you when legal challenges and opportunities arise as part of your business. PeaceLegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Peace Legal. We're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Hey, once again, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. I'm sharing with you an essay from Richard M. Ebling, Dr. Ebling, I should say. He uh, is writing for the Association. I'm sorry, the Amer. Let me get the let me get the name right here because I I don't want to. The American Institute for Economic Research. Sorry, A I E R. I was just going to fill in the blanks till I got it. And and he's talking about our rights. Right reasoning and the rights of man. Um, he had a beautiful quote from Francis Hutchinson, who was one of Adam Smith's influential professors at the University of Glasgow back in the uh, late 1600s, early 1700s. Who talked about our rights being something that he referred to as natural liberty. And, and you know what? In essence, what he's describing is anything peaceful is a part of our natural liberty. Meaning if you're not infringing on somebody else's rights... You're probably good to do it. But at the same time, we get a sense when someone hurts or harms or defrauds or victimizes another or takes from someone something that doesn't belong to him. That's a violation of those rights. Now, Ebling says a more modern reply to such a view of personal freedom and unrestrained individual liberty might be, well, now, don't individuals sometimes choose wrong or even misguided courses of action? Should they not be restricted in some of their private conduct and nudged? into better directions? Listen to how Hutchinson addressed this. He said, Let men instruct, teach, and convince their fellows as far as they can about the proper use of their natural powers, or persuade them to submit voluntarily to some wise plans of civil power where their important interests shall be secure. But till this is done, men must enjoy their natural liberty as long as they are not injurious by violating the individual rights of others. This right of natural liberty is not only suggested by the selfish parts of our own constitution, but by many generous affections as the grand dignity and perfection of our nature. End quote. See, he was warning about, and he actually feared the paternalist state in making his case for limiting government. Which government official or bureaucrat has the knowledge, the wisdom, and the ability to know what each of us really deserves as a distributive share from the cumulative outputs of private actions of everyone in society? And would this not soon reduce everyone to the political whims and personal judgments of those who hold such material and social power over all? Hutchison said it this way. Such constant vigilance, too, of magistrates and and such nice discernment of merit as could ensure both a universal diligence, rather, and a just and humane distribution is not to be expected. What magistrate can judge the delicate ties of friendship? by which a fine spirit may be so attached to another as to bear all toils for him with joy. And what plan of policy will ever satisfy men sufficiently as to the just treatment to be given to themselves, if all is to depend on the pleasures of the magistrate? Must all men in private stations ever to be treated as children or fools? So let's talk about common sense liberty. And here Ebling says the philosophical underpinnings of the Declaration of Independence, therefore, proclaim a self-evident truth of individual liberty and right to honestly acquired property that all men of unbiased reasoning could and should agree with and see 
as essential to a free, just, and prosperous society. And Ebeling says, I would ask any reader, which one of us does not want to be respected and protected in the safety of our life from injury and murder? Which one of us doesn't desire the liberty to guide and direct our own life as our own ideas of the desirable, the useful, and valued suggest to us? Which one of us wants to be a human puppet at the end of strings pulled by others against our own will and wishes? And which one of us does not want others to interact with us in honest, truthful, and fair dealing? Does it matter whether the killing of us, the restricting or restraining of us, or the deceitful manipulation of us is done either by a private individual or by a government, regardless of whether that government is an absolute monarchy or a democratically elected body of politicians and appointed bureaucrats? Anything that government does that goes beyond the securing of such individual rights for each citizen must, by logical necessity, involve an abridgment of one or more aspects of a person's freedom. It is the use of political authority and power to make some the compelled servants or providers of various things for the benefit of others. Now, the American Founding Fathers explained in the Declaration of Independence how intolerable an absolutist and highly centralized government in faraway London had become. This distant government violated the personal and civil liberties of the people living in the 13 colonies on the eastern seaboard of North America. In addition... The king's ministers imposed rigid and oppressive economic regulations and controls on the colonists that were part of the 18th century system of government central planning known as mercantilism. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states, the signers declared. At every turn, the British crown had concentrated political power and decision-making in its own hands, leaving the American colonists with little ability to manage their own affairs through local and state governments. Laws and rules were imposed without the consent of the governed. Local laws and procedures meant to limit abusive or arbitrary government were abrogated or ignored. The king also had attempted to manipulate the legal system by arbitrarily appointing judges that shared his power-lusting purposes or were open to being influenced to serve the monarch's policy goals. The king's officials unjustly placed colonists colonists under arrest in violation of writ of habeas corpus, sentenced them to prison without a proper trial by jury. Colonists were often violently conscripted to serve in the king's armed forces and made to fight in foreign wars. A financially burdensome standing army was imposed on the colonists without the consent of their local legislators. Soldiers were often quartered in the homes of the colonists without their approval or permission. In addition, the authors of the declaration stated the king fostered civil unrest by creating tensions and conflicts among the different ethnic groups in his colonial domain, meaning the English settlers and the Native American tribes. But what was at the heart of their many complaints and grievances against George III were the economic controls that limited their freedom and the taxes imposed that confiscated their wealth and honestly earned income. The fundamental premise behind the mercantilist planning system was the idea that it was the duty and responsibility of the government to manage and direct the economic affairs of society. So the British crown shackled the commercial activities of the colonists with a spider's web of regulations and restrictions. The British government told them what they could produce and dictated the resources and the technologies that could be employed. The government prevented the free market from setting prices and wages and manipulated what goods would be available to colonial consumers. It dictated what goods might be imported or exported between the 13 colonies and the rest of the world, thus preventing the colonists from benefiting from the gains that could have been theirs under free trade. Everywhere, the king appointed various magistrates who were to control and command much of the people's daily affairs of earning a living. Layer after layer of new bureaucracies were imposed over every facet of life. This is the part that rings true in our day. A quote from the from the declaration. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. You ever been on the receiving end of a code enforcement complaint? I'm just saying they could very well be describing that. In addition, Ebling points out the king and his government imposed taxes upon the colonists without their consent. Their income was taxed to finance expensive and growing projects that the king wanted and that he thought were good for the people, whether the people themselves wanted them or not. After enumerating these and other complaints, 
The Founding Fathers said in the Declaration, in every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have only been answered by repeated tear injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. And Ebling says thus the momentous step was taken to declare their independence from the British crown. And the signers of the declaration then did mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In the common cause of establishing a free government and the individual liberty of the then three million occupants of those original 13 colonies. Never before in history had a people declared and then established a government based on the principles of the individual's right to his life, liberty, and property. Never before was a society founded on the ideal of economic freedom, under which free men were declared to have the right to live for themselves in their own individual interest and peacefully produce and exchange with each other on the terms they find mutually beneficial without the stranglehold of regulating and planning government. Never before had a people made clear that self-government not only meant the right of electing those who would hold political office and pass the laws of the land, but also meant that each human being had the right to be self-governing over his own life. Indeed, in those inspiring words in the Declaration, the Founding Fathers were insisting that each man should be considered as owning himself and not be viewed as the property of the state to be manipulated by either the king or parliament. Now, there's more to this. But I like how Richard Ebling sums it up. He says, look, all of this makes sadly clear that when the backyard grills are fired up this July 4th and the burgers and brats are consumed in huge quantities while being washed down with untold gallons of beer and the beautiful fireworks are oohed and awed over as the evening sky darkens, much of what has claimed to be the American way or American values in our contemporary world has in fact little to do with the ideals and values and the ideas that inspired and guided those individuals who signed the Declaration of Independence. Maybe it's time that each of us spend a little bit more time building our own understanding of what those ideas and what those ideals are. I think if we do, we'll be better equipped to stand for them and to preserve them. What do you think? 